This conversation was recorded for the Sensitive Success Summit 2022. Remember to check out this year's summit, www.sensitivesuccesssummit.com. It's free to join and we have lots of interesting conversations coming up. Hope to see you there. Welcome to the Sensitive Success Podcast, where we explore the unique challenges and opportunities that comes with being a sensitive changemaker in today's world. I'm your host, Frida Kalbo, and I have spent the last decade recreating my life. I moved from Sweden to New Zealand and now live in the beautiful bush with my husband and two kids, homeschooling and creating a life and business that works for me with the help of my sensitivity and support others to do the same. I'm excited to share conversations with experts, thought leaders, and fellow sensitive people who also see the world through the lens of sensitivity. Thank you so much for being here because it means that you're creating sensitive success too, which is precisely what the world needs. Let's get started. Today we're celebrating sensitivity with Elaine Freund. She is an international consultant on high sensitivity and family therapist who helps highly sensitive adults and youth focused on solutions through therapy, consultations, and speaking. She has developed numerous programs for highly sensitive people and clinicians who serve them, including her monthly workshops at Are You Highly Sensitive Live? She's known for a widely recognized talk at Google, Understanding the Highly Sensitive Person, Welcome, Elaine. So exciting to have you here. I'm so honored that you wanted to join us. I'm happy to be here. So this is our first conversation for this summit. So welcome, everyone. And I thought it was perfect to have you here, Elaine, as the expert of highly sensitivity to explain what it actually is. But first, I would love to ask you why you think it's important to celebrate. Thank you for asking. I just, you know, there could be maybe as many as 2 billion highly sensitive people in the world. And the vast majority of them have no idea that they're highly sensitive. Many of them are doing great. They're thriving. But a lot of them have been told their whole lives that they're just too damn sensitive, that they need to you know, toughen up and get a harder shell and not be so reactionary and not have so many feelings and not be so emotional and all of those negative feelings. And I think in those negative messages, and I think they give highly sensitive people, especially the children, shame. And growing up feeling like there's something wrong with you is really damaging. So if we can reach more, my, my life's mission is to reach at least one and a half billion highly sensitive people. If we can reach more and more people and tell them that they are born the exact way that they're supposed to be and that they're not wrong, the world's just wrong for them then we could change everything. And that's why it's my passion. Love it. Love your mission. It's so great. It's so needed. So tell us a bit more about your journey and how you come to do what you do. Well, I, of course, was told I was too sensitive my whole life, even though I grew up in a family with highly sensitive parents and lots of people in my family, you know, it's genetic. So we often have people in our family who are also highly sensitive but I think maybe because of that, because of the strong empathy, I ended up, even though I was going to be the first female president of the United States when I was a teenager, I got directed as a young adult in a different direction from law school, and I became a psychotherapist. And I'd always been sort of the junior counselor. You know, we hear everybody's problems and we have great suggestions and great advice for people. So I was already sort of on that path throughout my life. 
So I'd been a therapist for a couple decades and I had a buddy at the barn that we rode horses together. All the therapists at our barn rode together and became friends. And one day after I was helping one of them, she came up to me and she said, Elaine, you're a highly sensitive person. And I think your work with horses, I do equine assisted psychotherapy. And she said, I think your work with horses would be fabulous for highly sensitive people because they love nature and animals. And I'm just in my mind thinking, where do you get off? Like, you know, how rude. And uh, she saw the look on my face and she said, have you seen the book or read the book? And I said, no. So we'll look it up. Well, that was Elaine Aaron and she wrote the book. She literally coined the term highly sensitive person. I had, I'd already been friends with her for a while and I had no idea that she was internationally famous and had sold over 2 million books, you know, and had changed the world for us. So that began a a decade-long journey of working with, alongside, creating curriculum with her, and becoming the person who really knows what she's thinking, and becoming a part of this organization called the International Consultants on High Sensitivity, who are professionals who are either teaching, researching, or writing about high sensitivity, who have worked closely with Elaine Aaron. So here I am. Elaine gave me her mission. (laughs) Wonderful. Love it. (laughs) What a story. So, yeah. Can you explain what is a highly sensitive person? Yeah, let's just dig right in. I like that. So, (laughs) you know, you know, you've probably been told that you're too sensitive or too emotional. The highly sensitive person has a trait. And this trait, I'm telling you all, this is backed by science spearheaded by Elaine and her husband, Art Aaron, the Aarons, they have put functional MRI studies together to determine that our brains actually work differently and we're born with this trait. So it's innate. The name of it is actually sensory processing sensitivity. So make note of that sensory processing sensitivity. It's a scientifically derived term. It's not sensory processing disorder which is a mental health diagnosis often found in children, occasionally in adults, where taking in sensory input causes a disorder. But a lot of highly sensitive children may indeed have also sensory processing disorder. They're just not the same. What's cool about this, what I think is so important is this is a trait that we're born with. You can't develop it. It doesn't change. You can't get rid of it. It it just is. And it literally means that parts of our brain work differently than other people's brains do. Now, there are some better ways to talk about it, I think. And sometimes Elaine says she regrets the names, highly sensitive person. It's just what happened, but it has a negative connotation in many cultures and certainly in many Western cultures. But maybe I've been working on this theory lately that the whole world, because of the internet, is becoming more and more in whatever, modern in a way that doesn't honor highly sensitive people. I think we'll we'll shift the other way. But I like to say that I have a finely tuned nervous system or maybe just that I'm finely tuned like a Tesla or a smartwatch. I need to be recharged and I need you to take really good care of me or like an orchid. In Sweden, they talk about children who have a more reactive system as being orchid children and children who are more resilient and less impacted by their environment as being dandelion children. Another thing that we could say about highly sensitive people is we have highly reactive brains or more reactive brains. And 
you know, maybe I'll just jump right into the acronym that Elaine came up with, D-O-E-S. It is not in the original Highly Sensitive Person book. You can find it in the Highly Sensitive Child and in the um, 25-year anniversary version of the Highly Sensitive Person. But she figured this thing out that would help us all understand, are we highly sensitive or is this person highly sensitive? So the acronym, the D stands for depth of processing. Without a doubt, we are deep processors. We think more than most people do about most things. Now, of course, it's a gift, right? Like if you just look at it on the surface, who wouldn't want to be thinking more about things and be more thoughtful? Well, it is a good thing, but sometimes we might think more than we have time to think or the dark side, we might become perfectionists. I don't know, everybody, everybody who's seeing the summit, put a little here, here in the world. Yes, I understand perfectionism. I know I do. I have a YouTube video that starts out debilitating perfectionism. I've lived with it my entire life. So deep processing, though, is an asset. As long as we don't become O, which is over aroused, that's a psychological term, but we could also say overwhelmed or overstimulated. When you do all that thinking and you do the E, which is have strong emotions, it's easy to become overwhelmed by all of that input. And the over arousal is in our body when we actually feel the stress building in our body. Everyone knows what that feels like. Highly sensitive people are more likely to become over aroused. So if we just are really responsive and reflective and thinking deeply about what we're experiencing in the world, about the people we're with, about the world's problems, that's fabulous, right? And then if we go to E and we have strong emotional responses to all those thoughts, well, that's also wonderful. We should have emotional reactions. We should be you know, feeling deeply. And I don't know when you're hearing this talk, but I've thought about it and I can't think of a time in my life when in my adult life, when there hasn't been some extremely disturbing news story, something, I mean, I could, I could tell you two or three right now that if I allowed myself to watch the news, I would be weeping over. I would have such strong emotional reactions too. And you know what, what if, what if there was no one who had a strong emotional reaction to those horrible things? our world would just be going pell-mell in the wrong direction. And most of us would think that we are currently going in the wrong direction. Part of the reason is highly sensitive people have not been as vocal as I think genetics and evolution intended us to be. So that's the E. And I want to say one more thing about emotional reaction and emotional responsiveness. Highly sensitive people often tell me that they find themselves having stronger emotions about the negative things, that they seem so focused on the bad things. I'm going to posit this theory that if that's true for you, it's become a habit. Maybe it's because you had a difficult childhood. Stress in your childhood will make you more likely to feel that way and to suffer from anxiety and depression. But listen, my friends, the science is clear that our brains are actually stronger in their reactions to positive things. So when they showed highly sensitive people with the MRI study, the leads connected to their brain, looking at their brain, when they showed them pictures of loved ones or traditional pictures that make people feel good, like birthday cakes or baby animals or things like that, especially with regard to their 
relationships, their marriages and romantic partners or their children, that their brains went off the charts in emotional reaction. So we can have stronger emotional reactions to the positive, and that's called empathy. We have stronger empathy. Finally, the S in DOES, I've gone off on a few rails here, (laughs) but the S is sensitivity to subtle stimuli. That's all that noticing. It's a lot, right? We notice so much, the tiny details. I was just talking to Frida before we started. The sun is going down where I am as we're recording this. And I was worried there was too much light right here on the wall behind me. And, you know, I was obsessed with that. I'm thinking about, oh, is the screen reflecting in my glasses? Every little detail comes into our notice. Now, this can be such an asset, right? We notice things. We notice when there's smoke from fires before anyone else does. We notice the twig in the bushes to let us know maybe an earlier evolution that a predator was coming nearby. And we notice, well, Elaine always says, I'm sure it was a highly sensitive person who figured out that secondhand smoke was a problem. And now it's just part of our culture. It's been researched. So all those noticing subtleties, it's a wonderful thing, but, and it can also become a little bit overwhelming. So Sometimes if we have a stressful life and we haven't been living in our optimal level of arousal, we haven't been living our best lives, we might actually develop anxiety from all the things we notice. So, you know, whether it's sounds or smells or bright lights or the humming of the fluorescent lights or the glass bottles rattling in the backseat of the car, we notice those things and they can really set us off. So that's D-O-E-S. And that's how you can identify high sensitivity. Beautiful. Thank you so much for explaining that. And wow, jam-packed with value already. So thank you. Now, what do you feel is the biggest misconception about how I think the biggest misconception is that we are predominantly mentally ill. I really do. I think, and you know, the sad truth is because of differential susceptibility, psychobabble jargon, please forgive me, but all it means is that our brains are different in their susceptibility to things around us. That's all. So, and originally in the early research, the scientists thought that this trait was just a vulnerability, that basically if you were highly sensitive, you were more vulnerable in the world. And all the research pointed to that. And it was really worrisome, really worrisome. But then some clever researchers decided to look at it a little bit more carefully. And they discovered that actually positive influences also impact us just as strongly, if not more so than negative ones. So instead of a vulnerability factor, we discovered that it's a susceptibility factor. So listen, if you don't have this trait, I'm just going to frown a little bit. If you are someone who does not have this trait, Whether negative things happen to you or positive things happen to you, you might have a little blip in how you function, but basically you're going to keep functioning the same. I mean, Frida, can you believe that? Some people are not impacted by negative things or positive things. They're just going along at a perfectly fine rate, perfectly fine way. Not us, right? When negative things happen, we really sink low. We start doing a lot worse. And we are, in fact, more likely to develop mental illness, especially anxiety and depression. So it's true that many highly sensitive people who have a lot of stressors, especially in childhood, 
are more likely to have these mental illnesses. However, in the absence of a stressful childhood in a good enough childhood, or even in the presence of good intervention as an adult, we are less likely. Do you hear me? We're less likely to have mental illnesses. We're less likely to have anxiety or depression. That is phenomenal. And we have to really remember that and hold to that, that differential susceptibility and know that when we clear out the stress, we take amazing care of ourselves, we are going to function better. We will get fewer illnesses, fewer injuries, and we will have much less mental illness than the 80%, maybe it's 70%. There's a question now about what percentage of us, oh, maybe we should do just some basic demographics about who highly sensitive people are. Is that okay? Right. Originally, based on the animal research, you know, sensitivity, this more reactive brain has been found in over a hundred species. We think it's probably in every species that some minority, it's way too many to be an illness. It's a category, not a disorder, right? But some minority is going to have a more reactive brain and they're going to have this way of being in the world that they are more responsive and reflective and sensitive to their environments. So they think before they act. So you can see the documentary sensitive, the untold story and really discover some really cool stories about the animals. But the, so we were saying for sure. And also in early infant temperament research for sure, we're seeing 15%. And then they looked at the, at all the research that's been going on over the past hundred years more carefully. And plus using the MRI studies and said, Oh, it's looking like it's 20%. Well, now some researchers in the UK, particularly spearheaded by Michael Pluis, who runs the sensitivity research website, have discovered that if we look at environmental sensitivity, which is one temperament and it's one aspect of high sensitivity, that as many as 30% of the population has environmental sensitivity. So a greater sensitivity to their environment. So within that, we might also then have people who are highly sensitive people who have a sense of many different kinds of sensitivities that is more at the 20% level, but we've got to say 20 to 30% now. That's a lot of people. We also are evenly spread across sex and gender. And, you know, I think another huge misconception is that highly sensitive people are mostly women or female identified, you know, and I think it is more acceptable for us to show our sensitivity than it is for male identified people. And, that is a hard, hard fact. And I I think a lot of highly sensitive men and male identified people are probably not as easily identifiable, but the research is clear. It is evenly spread. Another thing is another misconception is that we're all introverts. Now I happen to be, (laughs) I'm definitely a highly sensitive introvert. It's a bit of a challenge for me to sit here on screen with you. And I'm sure there are many people and the majority of highly sensitive people are introverts, 70%. What does that leave? 30% are not 30% are extroverts and they have a special path. Those extroverted, highly sensitive people, because they don't have the pull to stay home and to spend time alone, which is a great way to reset when you get over aroused. They are wanting to be out in the world. I'm married to one of these highly sensitive extroverts. And I can tell you, they struggle a lot more than I do. Because, you know, when the pandemic hit, I was like, woohoo, nobody can come close to me. I have to stay home. 
yeah, baby. <laughs> but the extroverts are still out there in the world and they're more likely to get overstimulated. Yeah. And there's also one group that is highly sensation seeking. Oh, yes, that would be me too. Yes, me too. <laughs> I'm also introverted and highly. That's why you're doing this summit, yes. right? <laughs> I know, I'm, I'm teaching, you know, I'm on the internet. I have a YouTube channel for crying out loud. It's like, what is wrong with me? So I'm glad you brought that up. And maybe there'll be a talk on high sensation seeking HSPs in the summit. But let me just say my two cents about it, if I may. It's another trait. And it's not related to high sensitivity in any way, shape or form. It occurs to the same percentage in people who are not highly sensitive as people who are highly sensitive. But it might be harder if you're a sensation seeker, as we say, someone who really is driven to do more and to have more stimulus in their life. It might be harder for you to answer yes to enough of the questions on the self-assessment. And, you know, if, if you want to take the test, you go to hsperson.com. That's the only test except for sensitivityresearch.com that is backed by science and is carefully monitored for equal amounts of positivity and negativity. So if you go there, like me, I only answer yes to half on that test because I'm a high sensation seeker. And yes, like, you know, I don't really want to go to a dark room and lay down and listen to classical music. Thank you very much. You know, I want to be out in the world and moving around, just not with other people so much. But we like to say high sensation seekers have, if they're highly sensitive, they have one foot on the brake and one foot on the gas. And that's a good thing right? Because if you're a high sensation seeking and you don't have any breaks, like the people who are not highly sensitive, then they're out there doing the wild and crazy things and maybe taking extra risks that aren't safe. Hmm. Thank you for that clarification. Yeah, I think that was what made me overthink if I actually highly sensitive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if someone is watching this and they are just in the beginning of their high sensitivity journey or knowing that they are, I mean, um, what is the first step that you recommend them to take? The first thing you need to do is buy the book. We have this Facebook group, Elaine, Aaron, and High Sensitivity. It's very international. It probably has about 7,000 people on it. And we, the people who admin it, we went through a phase of just saying, read the damn book, right? Because the research is there and the advice is there. It's a great book by Elaine Aaron, the highly sensitive person, and really get your foundation of knowledge. I want to also say that there's nothing wrong with you. You have probably been feeling like there was something wrong with you and there isn't. Now, I do think that highly sensitive people, we make up about half of psychotherapy clients. And if you've lived your life as a highly sensitive person being you know, made to feel ashamed or like there's something wrong with you, it would be very helpful to seek some psychotherapy if you haven't done so from, but let me just say this, you must find a therapist who can relate to the idea that there is such a thing as highly sensitive people, because you know what? I wasn't taught a word. I have two master's degrees in psychological fields. I was never taught anything about this. I never heard of it before Elaine told me, and I was 20 years into my career at that point. So it's really important that you educate your healthcare providers and mental health providers about the trait. And if they're not open to learning and hearing about it, if they think you're just histrionic, <laughs> like every medical professional I've ever experienced pretty much, then they're not the right person for you. 
good people are out there in healthcare fields and education and even at your work. And it's important to start to be able to articulate. And Elaine has some great talking points in her book, actually, about how to say this thing. You know, you might have noticed that some people just notice more than other people. Or some people are more attuned to their bodies, say if it's the doctor, or they're more aware of what's going on in the office. I'm one of those people. My brain is just more reactive. Sometimes it needs a little more time to process things. But when I come up with an answer, it's going to be very detailed and it's going to be very tuned in to what's actually going on. So get the information so that you can speak to what it is. You're going to need to tell your family and your work about who you are and why your brain is different and why it's an amazingly wonderful thing. And you're not crazy. I think the other thing we have to do, look, if you are noticing everything, having strong emotional reactions to everything and thinking way too much of the time, then you're going to spend more time overwhelmed or overstimulated. And, you know, I like to think of it as a sort of a thermometer. First, there's, you're just doing great. Everything's copacetic. And then you start to feel a little stress or a little worry, maybe, and then a little stress. And then you're really starting to get into over arousal. Things are tightening up, heating up. Your breathing becomes more shallow. And then that can lead you into an, to anxiety. And at the top is a panic attack, right? It's anxiety that you can't control. It's very normal for a highly sensitive person to be somewhere on that scale, but we can take charge of it. We can do something about it. What you might ask, what we have to do is take better care of ourselves. And bottom line, you know, anxiety produces chemicals so that we can fight the saber tooth tiger. I'm sure most of you have heard this before. Our brains are telling us there is danger and it might not actually be danger. It's our brain that is interpreting too much information. So we have to be able to talk to our brain, but we also have to be able to release those chemicals. So if you've created, your brain has created enough chemicals to fight the saber-toothed tiger or to lift the car off of somebody, then you're going to have to move your body and use your muscles in order to use those chemicals up. They're not going to just go away. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to tell you one more thing, if I may. There was some new research that just confirmed what we all knew was true. It came out in 2019, and I'm sorry, I don't have the citation for you. It's on hsperson.com. But the research showed that even when we are resting, our brain is still working. That's why we need more downtime, like, and why many of us may not sleep much of the night very well. Because the brain is still going and we need a better sleep hygiene. We need more downtime during the day so that our brain can quiet down so that we can rest. So if you're feeling anxious or miserable, a lot of the time, it's something you can easily change, but it takes some time and some effort. Yeah, that's a a great tip. And I think that a lot of can relate to, to that (laughs) <laughs> that circle great yeah definitely so if there is one action step that highly sensitive persons should take after this conversation what would that be i'm sure that each of you is doing something that makes you feel better in your life you know maybe it's eating well you know good nutrition whatever that is for you 
Maybe it's exercising. Maybe you're meditating or doing breath work or yoga. Perhaps you are going to holistic practitioners or getting body work. You're really careful to take soothing baths with candles and um, hikes in nature. We're all doing something. And what I would say you, I would ask highly sensitive people to do is to increase it, to add on to what you're doing. Don't think that because you're doing some things, it's enough because you are gifted. Now, in psychology and education, gifted means an extremely high IQ. Well, I'm going to say that we have an extremely high EQ, emotional intelligence, right? Because of all of our empathy and our emotional responsiveness. And we're really, really highly gifted in our thinking. And so when you have these gifts, you have to treat yourself, the children around you who are highly sensitive, and your brain as though it's special. Now, I have lots of trolls, and so does Elaine, who, you know, oh, those highly sensitive people, they just think they're so much better than everybody else. Au contraire. Most of us think that we're not as good as other people because we've been given that message our whole lives. But the fact that you are finely tuned, that you are a Tesla or whatever instrument you have in your lives that's finely tuned, it means that you have to take amazingly special care of yourself. So what if we just all made a commitment right now to do one thing extra? Or if you walk, for example, just to walk five minutes more tomorrow. One of the things I love that really helps me, and I do this at the beginning of most of my workshops, is to do a gratitude practice. It's a very simple thing. And I let's just do it right now. What is something that you're grateful for about being sensitive? You know, I'm grateful that I'm so thoughtful. And I'm grateful that I am aware of the people around me. So just take a moment and write it down. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm I'm grateful that I am so in tune with the people around me. And yeah, you who are watching this, head over to the Telegram channel and tell us what you're grateful for with the highly sensitive. Oh, thank you. Yeah, let's do that. Perfect. Thank you so much. And is there anything else you would like to add? I'd like to tell you all about the highly sensitive person's five to thrive. These are the five things that Elaine Aaron identified that we highly sensitive people need in order to live a good life. They're pretty simple and you probably know them intuitively, but I want to lay them out and put them right here on the table so that we can all focus on them and do our best to achieve them. Number one is to believe the trade is real. We have to understand what sensory processing sensitivity is, what it means to be HSP, and we actually need to believe that we have it. Like Frida and I had to work on that a little bit, right? Because we're high sensation seekers as well. So you have to really believe that it's true and know about it. That's number one. Number two is to know other highly sensitive people. Find your community, whether it's online or in person. And I want to say, I, I hear from HSPs a lot that they're lonely and they don't know others. I bet you there's someone in your circle. Keep your eye out. You know what to look for. They're the ones who are kind of hanging out by themselves or they're young people who are sounding like they're 40 when they're 10. You know, people who are really tuned into their environment. Keep your, put your little spidey senses out. 
so that you can find other highly sensitive people. It's a sign of resilience. It's a characteristic of resilience, knowing others like you when you're different. And the research is clear. It makes a huge difference. The third and fourth of the five to thrive are reframe the past and heal from trauma. These are huge. I've talked about this a lot in this conversation already that in our childhoods, many things happened to us that did not support our sensitivity. So we need to go back and really look at our childhood and reframe it and say, oh, I wasn't wrong. I wasn't a pain in the butt. I wasn't overly reactive. I was sensitive and I was noticing things around me and having appropriate reactions to them. So reframe your childhood. And most highly sensitive people have experienced the world as traumatic at one time or another. And trauma healing is very important. And it often does require some professional help. The fifth of the highly sensitive person's five to thrive. This one I've been talking about the whole time. Design a life that's compatible with your trait especially you extroverts and high sensation seekers. You might have to work a little harder at this, but you do have to design your life in a way that honors your brain, your heart, and your trait. Beautiful. Thank you so, so much. So much value in this conversation. And I could go on, but I will honor your time. So thank you so, so much. Thank you for sharing your wisdom and knowledge with us. And thank you so much for the work that you do in the world. And thank you, Frida. I hope we reach lots and lots of HSPs. So spread the word and tell everyone you know. Yes, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Sensitive Success. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and share it with someone who could benefit from this message. And come over and connect with me on Instagram at Frida Cabo. And remember, sensitivity is neither good or bad. It's what we make of it. Embrace your sensitivity and use it to create sensitive success your way.